Well, if you would take out the Word of God and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 31. Uh, We're going to uh, finish up this study in 1 Samuel today in chapter 31. Uh, I just got that personality quirk where I can't have something that's left undone, that's not finished. Uh, And so I would rather finish this study together in in the building together on on the Lord's Day in corporate worship. Uh, But we're going to do it this way. Um, so we can move on to a new study. Next week, we will begin going through the book of Philippians. Uh, I was trying to decide what, what, could we, what book of the Bible could we study? What book of the Bible could we go through during this time? Uh, and I was thinking about Philippians. Paul writes the letter from prison. Uh, and I didn't realize so many in our church have just been led to that book in the Bible. People have been texting me and calling me. Uh, about what God is teaching them in Philippians. And so next week, we will begin a study through the book of Philippians. So you can go ahead and prepare for that. But again, today, we're in 1 Samuel chapter 31. Uh, We're continuing this study or ending this study, the king that we need. And I'm going to read just verses 11 and 13 to begin our time, but we will move through each verse in this chapter. And we... Gather right now, folks in their home, maybe folks in their car, maybe folks enjoying uh, their back porch with a phone in their hand. However, you are gathered around the Word of God right now. God is binding our hearts together as a church through the same Word. That's why the preaching of the Word of God in the context of the church is so important. Somebody might say, well, you know, I can do my own private Bible study. I can do my own personal devotions. I don't need to hear preaching and teaching in the context of a church. But we're not individuals gathered right now doing private devotions. We are a church in a very unique situation. And God is taking one word and he's tying us together in fellowship right now around one word that is being taught that is being proclaimed from the Bible. And so hear the word of Christ, verse 11 and through verse 13. But when the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead heard what the Philistines had done to Saul, all the valiant men arose and went all night and took the body of Saul and the, the bodies of his sons from the wall of Bethshan. And they came to Jabesh and burned them. And they took their bones and buried them under the tamarisk tree in Jabesh and fasted seven days. Oh God, we, we read these words of a king whose bones are buried in the middle of nowhere right now. And God, it... it It's so natural for us to even as we read of this king who is dead and gone and his bones have rotted and are rotting and decaying for us to immediately be drawn to a king who is alive and well, who has been raised from the dead, who is seated at your right hand, ruling and reigning even in our lives at this time. And so God Even as we read the last words of this book, God, lead us to the king we need, who is Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. 
growing up in rural Tennessee, I, I was always surrounded by great storytellers. Telling stories was just a part of the culture. Telling really good stories was a part of, uh, of my family get-together, sitting around and listening to my grandfathers, my aunts and uncles tell really, really good stories about them growing up, about things they had accomplished, things they had done together. And it was just a way of life. If you were going to add anything to the conversation, you had to be able to tell a good story. But it was more than just a good story. It, it was what I would call uh, one-up stories. You know, someone would tell a story about something that happened to them, and then somebody else would chime in, and, and they would have to one-up the previous story. It's kind of like those fireside youth retreats where you gather around the, the campfire on your youth retreat and everybody's got to one-up someone's testimony. Well, I came to faith in Christ after I got caught smoking a pack of cigarettes. Well, I came to faith in Christ after I got caught smoking a bag of weed. And you just sort of one-up one another. And, and that was sort of the storytelling culture that I grew up with. And there seemed to be no rules to the one-upmanship of the stories. The exaggeration was just sort of understood and it was accepted and even encouraged. And so with each story, the, the fish got bigger. With, with each story, there were more points to the, to the deer. With, with each story, the, the storms were more severe and the work was harder and the cars were faster. Until one day, I had a relative that crossed a line. They, they began telling this outlandish story about when they were a kid and they went down to the county fair and there was a, there was a tiger uh, trainer there and a tiger in a cage. And this is before Netflix, so it's not who you think it is. And this relative, him and his friends, they, they took this chemical and I think it's called turpentine. And they strategically placed it on the tiger in a place that would irritate the tiger in more than one way. And so when the handler got in the cage, the tiger was angry and mad and started attacking the, the, the tiger trainer. And as I sat there and listened to that story, and it was fascinating and everybody was drawn in, I began to think, I don't think that story's true. I, I think you've crossed the line and that's not a true story. As a matter of fact, I think that was an episode on the Three Stooges. And if you know anything about the Three Stooges, some of us are from that generation. You may immediately think about that scene that you've seen uh, on the Three Stooges. And so I began challenging this person. No, no, this is what happened. I remember it. And, and, and what I realized had happened is they had seen that TV show. And they had seen that moment in the TV show. And then they began telling that story. And throughout a lifetime, this was an older gentleman. He just began believing that he was a part of that story. And that that really did happen to him. And that he lived that moment. Now, with more clarity and much more honesty, that sort of storytelling makes for really good biblical hermeneutics. Because 
we read in the pages of Scripture of a story we are supposed to rehearse in our own lives. We read chapter after chapter, verse after verse, book after book, letter after letter. And we are reading stories that make up one story. And the more we read this story and the more that we tell this story and we immerse ourselves into this story, it becomes our story. And we tell it as if it is happening to us. As if the things that we see are applying to our lives even now. And to understand 1 Samuel, we have to do this. You see, 1 Samuel is not just a story about a distant group of people who are in sin and rebellion. And God has been so gracious to them and yet they clamor for a king like the nations. It's not just about a distant group of people. Their story in its historical context that is true teaches us about ourselves because we are a people that God has been so gracious to, so kind to. And yet we clamor for kings like the nations. We clamor for better kings. And first Samuel is to remind us there is only one king we need, and it is Jesus. Despite Israel having experienced over and over God's grace and God's mercy. They've clamored for this king like the nations. And God finally gives them Saul. Now Saul looked awesome. He, he was a guy, you said, we want him on the billboards. We, we want him in the brochures when we tell people about our nation, about our kingdom, about all we have to offer. We want his face on the front of everything that has to do with our nation and our kingdom. He is a good looking man. He is a strong man. He is a fierce warrior. He looks good front and center. And we want a king like Saul because we want to compare our king to the kings of the nations. They brag and they boast about their champion kings. We want a king like them. Now this is all despite the fact that God has said, I'm your king. Why would you want another king but me? And yet they clamor and clamor and God finally gives them Saul. And we have seen how that has turned out for them. Because Saul is just like Israel. He has given them a picture of themselves. A king who is committed only to himself. Who only wants what he wants. And God has warned him he's going to judge him for that. And at the end of this book, we see God's final statement about Saul. God's final judgment about Saul. Notice verse 1 of chapter 31. And we begin to see here, telling our own story is spiritual suicide. Notice verse 1. Now the Philippians were... Or Philippians. (laughs) We're going to study that next week. Now the Philistines... We're fighting against Israel. Now remember in the last chapter how this battle has set up. David is behind enemy lines with the Philistines. Is he going to fight with them? And then God delivers him from that decision. But the Philistines are marching against Israel. Marching against Saul. God has already told Saul the Philistines are going to wipe you out. He went and even had a seer. Uh, Allow him to speak to Samuel back from the dead who said, yes, Saul, the Philistines are going to wipe you out. And that's what's happening. They're fighting against Israel. And the men of Israel, verse 1, fled before the Philistines and fell slain on Mount Gilboa. 
Now, throughout the book, we've seen the enemies of God fleeing. We've seen the Philistines fleeing. In just a few chapters ago, we saw the Malachites fleeing from David. And now the tables turn. Israel is watching the Philistine chariots racing and raging toward them. And they have nowhere else to go. And so they climb on this mountain. And this is a summary statement here. They fell slain. The Philistines are wiping them out. The Philistines, these pagan idol worshipers, they are the logo for the enemies of God in the Old Testament. And their hero is that giant Goliath who humiliated the Israelites, called him a bunch of sick dogs who couldn't defeat him. The Philistines and their presence has lingered in this whole book and Saul never wiped them out. And now they're overwhelming Israel. They are fleeing. They are dying. They are crawling. They are, they are scraping, trying to get away from the Philistines. In verse 2, the Philistines overtook Saul and his sons. And the Philistines struck down Jonathan and Abinadab and Malachashua, the sons of Saul. And here we see the waves of war just overwhelm Israel. And then the, the, the writer makes mention of Saul's sons. His whole legacy is being wiped out, specifically Jonathan. Now, as we've read the book, we think about Jonathan, who's mentioned here in the last chapter. He's been a glimmer of hope in the whole book. Even in light of Saul compared to David, they both have their own issues. But Jonathan is the one who has surrendered his right to the kingdom to David. He says, you are the true king of Israel. We've already seen that. And notice what he's doing here. He's dying with his father's kingdom. That, that, that shows us a man who is full of virtue and sacrifice, who is loyal. And he's mentioned here as a glimmer of hope. Verse 3, the battle pressed hard against Saul and the archers found him. And he was badly wounded by the archers as they run up the mountain to get the high point in the battle, to get the advantage in the battle. Archers begin to pierce Saul with their arrows. And Saul realized the end is near. It's all over. And so he turns to his armor bearer and he says, draw your sword and thrust me through with it. Lest these uncircumcised come and thrust me through and mistreat me. Now, circumcision, it's the sign of the promise from Abraham on. Israel was set apart by this sign. The rest of the world, the Philistines, they, they didn't have this sign. And they, they weren't set apart to God. They were the heathen, enemies, pagans. And Saul says, notice the virtue here. I'm not going to die at the hand of these pagan, heathen dogs. You kill me to his armor bearer. The one who protected his weapons. The one who was the last line of defense. But notice the armor bearer would not, for he feared greatly. We've seen this throughout with David. David has looked at Saul. He's had times where he could kill him. Where he could spear him. Where, where, where he could end his life. And yet David says, no, you're the king of Israel. This is God's plan and purpose. And he feared killing the king. And we see the armor bearer doing that here. And it reminds us of David's mercy. 
All the way throughout the book, David has been merciful. And we have another glimmer of mercy here. But notice what Saul does. Saul took out his own sword and he fell upon it. And we might even say that's a noble way to die. But notice how this tragedy has been carried out. They're fighting against Israel. They overtake Israel. The verbs that are used in the verses, they struck down. They pressed hard. And then Saul is wounded and to the point where he commits suicide. Suicide. Now we've thought all along, how is this going to end? Well, maybe David will take him out. We've seen the shepherd boy from Israel. He defeated Goliath, mighty warrior. He'll take Saul out. Or maybe when this chapter started, we said, okay, the Philistines are going to take him out. And yet there's a subtle sign here as Saul falls down on his own sword. The enemy did take Saul out. But it wasn't the Philistines who were the enemy. Saul is his own enemy. And there's a picture of what's happened to Saul here in his own sin. It is Saul's sin that has killed Saul. That has brought his end. That has brought his destruction. As Saul was made king, it was to be God's word that guided Saul's story. God's word found him. A little farm boy who is looking for donkeys. And God's word in Samuel comes to him appoints him king, anoints him as king. The prophet, the word of God has set him apart as king. God's king was to be surrendered to God's law, God's word. It was God who was to tell the story about Saul. But we've seen all along, Saul wanted to tell his own story. From the very beginning, Saul said, I'm going to make a monument and I want people to worship me at this monument. We've seen Saul when he was told to wipe out the Malachites. He he didn't obey God's word. Saul is a man who wiped out a city of priests, the mediators of God's word. And all along we've seen it's not God's word that's going to tell Saul's story. Saul is committed to telling his own story. And we see here it's suicide. And for you to tell your own story is spiritual suicide. And that's how we live in the world these days. And it's not just during the crisis we find ourselves in or, or how we interact on social media. We're prone to want to wake up every day and tell the story of the desires of our own heart. What do I want for my life? How do I want this to end? How, how do I want to be known? And we begin to acquire headlines and stats And we begin to look to people who agree with what I want my story to look like. And they're going to fulfill the desires of my heart. And it's not just on social media, but so many of us, we live in our own echo chamber. And we surround ourselves with the story we want to hear about ourselves. And that's the very reason some of you are so angry today. People disagree with you. And it makes you angry because that's not the story you want to hear. You want to hear a different story about your life and about what you think should happen. That's why some of you are so sad. Because in your mind, you've told a story about how things should be and what the next day is going to look like. And you're so sad and broken because you're the one who wakes up every day and you're telling the story. And if others don't tell the story that you want to hear, you're angry and you're sad. 
And what God's doing in that anger and sadness is He's reminding you, you can't tell the story. Well, your story's insecure and it's full of holes. And it is not what you should build your life upon. It is God's Word. It is His story. And so I want to challenge you this week. Instead of telling your own story, instead of looking for stories that, that help you tell the story you want, Tell yourself God's story from Genesis to Revelation, eternity past, eternity future. It is a story about Jesus and every jot and tittle, every second, every day that is played out is telling his story. No matter what you see in front of you, it's all going to be used to make much of Jesus. And guess what? This time in your life, however you think about it. Whatever you think's going on, whatever you think's going to happen a zillion years from now, it's going to be a speck of a footnote in God's story. But God's given you a paragraph. He's given you a time in history where you can talk about Jesus and be a part of his story. So praise him for that and pray that God would help you see his story and rehearse his story so that it becomes your story and it becomes natural that you just see what he is doing in human history instead of what you want to happen. Notice the text continues. And when his armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he fell upon his sword and died with him. Thus Saul died and his three sons and his armor bearer and all his men they all died on the same day. And the point here is Saul's legacy is wiped out. The armor bearer couldn't save him. He couldn't save himself. He couldn't save Saul from himself. Verse 7. When the men of Israel were on the other side and those beyond the Jordan saw that the men of Israel had fled. So this was sort of the ancient Colosseum. You would gather on mountains fighting what happened in the valley. And now the Philistines have pushed Israel to the other side. And so if you're a part of the, the Israelite army and you've stayed back and you haven't entered the fray, you've watched all of this unfold. And you see your mighty king and his sons and the armor bearer go down in battle. And what do you do? Well, you tuck tail and run. That's exactly what they did here. And this is to be compared to what happened when David killed Goliath. Remember David kills Goliath and what do the Israelites do? They run after the enemy. They begin to chase down the Philistines. But not here. The Philistines win. The king that they chose loses. And so they're running for cover. The text says they abandoned their cities. And again, that word fled. They are scared. They are insecure. And the Philistines came and lived in their cities. They just, they just set up shop. In these Israelite cities. And there's a picture there of Israel being judged. See, we've, we've thought so much about Saul who is being judged for his own sin. But really, the people being judged are Israel. This is what you get. This is the king you, you chose. The king on the hill over here. Who is dead. Suicide. On his own sword. That is your king. And now they're running for cover. And God is saying, remember, I'm the one who promised to defeat your enemies and you picked Saul. How's that turned out for you? How's that working out for you? Now you have Philistines who are living in your homes, 
Now you have Philistines who are ruling your cities. How'd that turn out for you? Well, you told a story that you wanted a king like the king of the nations. But that's not God's story. God is king. And he is the one who would save them from their enemies. And here's a point. We will go down with the kings we choose. You will be defeated with your king. And some of you are feeling that in this moment. Because you made money king. And you worked your whole life for money. You wanted security. You wanted a retirement plan that that was nicely packaged and it all worked out perfectly. And you made that king. And now you're scared. Because you feel your life going down with the one you made king or what you made king. Some of us have made other people king. And we're, we, we, we put all of our hopes and dreams in what they could do for us. And we forgot that they're sinful. That we all serve ourselves, And no one is sovereign but God. No one can control the future. But we put hope in people thinking they would serve us. And thinking they would always do what's right. And thinking there could be some security in that. But we're realizing in these moments... It's hard to put security in just about anybody. It's hard to trust anybody. And we feel our lives going down, being defeated. The insecurity of who and what we have made king of our own lives. That there are folks here who have made safety king. Your whole life, you've you've pursued safety. What's the most safest route? How can I keep myself safe? How can I keep my kids safe? How can I keep everybody safe? And you're looking at the headlines and you're thinking, oh, the world's not safe anymore. And you feel the insecurity of safety as king. And what God is teaching us and what he teaches Israel here is I was the only safe king. I was the only secure king. I was the only king who could give you what you need and defeat your enemies. And now you're going down with the king you wanted, Saul. Notice the text continues. On the next day when the Philistines came to strip the slain. So they see the battle's over. And and they're going in for some trophies. They found Saul and his three sons fallen on Mount Geboa. And so they cut off his head. Now remember we've seen that before. And if you were here when we were teaching through that. you, You sort of were weirded out by me. Because I would describe David taking his sword over and over. And just sawing on the neck of Goliath. Well, now it's happening to Saul. And it's the point. That's the point. That their king's head is lopped off. In the same way Goliath, who was the enemy, his king, his head was cut off. And notice the picture there. Saul is no better than Goliath. Saul is the enemy, just like Goliath was the enemy. And here the Philistines are paying him back. What you did to our champion king Goliath is happening to your king. But notice what they do. They strip off his armor and they send messengers to the land of the Philistines. This, this is the, the social media of the day. We're going to announce that Saul, Israel's king, has been defeated. How are we going to do that? Well, will you go get his breastplate. And you go get his shoes and you run through the cities and you hold them up and you say, the king is dead. The king is dead. Good news. Saul 
Israel's king is dead. And they send messengers through the land of the Philistines. And notice the text says, verse 9, to carry good news to the house of their idols and to the people. Now think about that. They worship Dagon. They worship Baal. And if you're a messenger, and let's say you have Saul's helmet, you can't wait to get to the temple and offer it up to your pagan god and say, we killed Saul. We killed him. Here's his helmet from battle. Look. And notice their loyalty to their idols. They're running back telling their idols and the people Saul is dead. And notice what they do. They put the they put his armor in the temple of the Ashtoreth. Now, this was supposed to be Baal's wife, the god of fertility. And they're offering his armor almost as a sacrifice or an offering to the god. But notice, they fastened his body to the wall of Bethshan. Now, imagine driving into Louisville. Or imagine driving into Nashville. Or driving up to Washington, D.C. And around the outskirts of the city, you see bodies being hung. And you would go, oh, that is so gross and that is so disgusting. But not these pagan Philistines. They were happy to see Saul and the bodies of his sons hanging on the walls of their city. Because it meant victory. We have wiped out Israel's king. We have wiped out Israel's people. And now Saul and his sons are like trophies of victory. And notice they, they put his armor in the temple. And we're back where we were in chapter 4. Remember chapter 4 of 1 Samuel? When the Philistines captured the Ark of the Covenant. And they have it in the temple. And what happens overnight? You have the Ark of the Covenants there. And you look over and all of a sudden in the middle of the night, Dagon, the idol of Dagon, just falls at the feet of the Ark of the Covenants. And Israel should have learned their lesson then. That God himself, the presence of God in the Ark, God is the one who's defeating our enemies. And now the tables have turned. And now there's a flip in the story. Saul is hung on the walls of the city and his armor is in this temple. And what God is saying is the last time I was in that temple, I defeated Dagon. What's Saul doing in the temple? He's dead. He's hanging on a wall. Notice his lifeless armor. Saul couldn't defeat your enemies like I could. Why would you pick Saul? And it is not the Philistines who are humiliating Saul. It is God himself. God is the one who's saying, this is the king you wanted, but it's not the king you need. And in the verses we read earlier, 11 through 13, this band of warriors from Jabesh Gilead. Now, if you remember the story, that's the first group of people that Saul fought for. And they have been loyal to Saul all the way to the end. And they go and they get Saul's body and they get the bodies of his son. Can you imagine traveling this long journey? And then you come up to the city and you see Saul and his son's bodies hanging on the walls. And they unchain them. And they carry them back. And the text says they carry them back to the tamarisk tree. Now, remember Saul at this tree? Earlier, we've seen pictures over and over of Saul standing at this tree with his spear. And he's overlooking his land. And people are coming to, to, to hear his wisdom and to even praise him. And he's standing at this tree and now his bones are buried. 
His body has been burned, a pagan funeral. And his bones are placed under this tree. A place that used to represent his power. This tree is kind of like Saul's headstone. Here lies your king, one you thought had great power. And now his bones are rotting because the Philistines destroyed him. And that's what God is saying to his people. This is not the king you need, but this is the king you wanted. And how has this turned out for you? Tragic end to Saul. Here is your trophy, king. What can he do for you now? Now, the story of Saul tells us a story that we really don't want to tell ourselves. The story of Saul tells us that we are weak and we are sinful. Just like Saul. And we can't be an undefeated king. And when we try to, we will be defeated. Our sinfulness, our weakness will be put on display for us to see when we prop ourselves up as king. God will prove there's only one king. And it's not you. And that's the story he's telling through Saul here. And Saul's story points us to a story we need to tell ourselves. Even as I've told the story today, You may be thinking, hold on, I've heard that story before. A story of a king who is chased up a mountain? A story of a king who is driven up a mountain and the battle overwhelmed him and he was slain on a mountain. The story of a king who was gutted and lynched like a Like an animal. I have heard such a story before. And when we hear Saul's story. And we begin to think. Oh I've heard a similar story. We hear the end of Saul's story. And it's a story that we have to make our own story. It's the story of the gospel. It's the story of the reality that I was telling my own story. I was telling the story that I was king, that I was great, like I I was like Saul until by faith I stood on the mountain of Golgotha and saw another king that was slain, that was crucified on two pieces of wood that represented government power. And just like the Philistines, they humiliated Saul here. I've seen another king who was mocked by the nations. King of the Jews. Really? King of the Jews. And we hear these stories and these images begin to... They begin to take shape in our mind and they begin to come together and we begin to see in the story of Saul this dead king God is pointing us to the story of our alive king who is Jesus who did not spend but three days in Satan's trophy case of sin and death and he was raised up even as we hear Saul's story and we we see the pieces that remind us of Jesus We're not just to stop there and say Saul's story is about Jesus. We're to say Saul's story is my story. Because in Jesus, I was the king. I was the king that was slayed on the mountain of Calvary. 
when my sin, the hot, bloody sword of my sin, pierced through Jesus on the cross as he endured the wrath of God, I was the king that was brought to the tragic end. And like the Philistines, we announce that good news to ourselves. We say the king is dead. And who is that king? It's me. I'm the king that was crucified in Christ. I'm the king who the enemy overwhelmed. I'm the king who died in this gory, bloody battle with sin and death. And because I've already died in Jesus, I've already been raised in Jesus. Saul's bones are rotting. Jesus is alive and well. And in him, I am alive and well. That's the story that we tell ourselves when we get to the end of 1 Samuel. And we hear the story and we say, you know, I've heard it. I'll hear it again. I'll tell it again. And that's not just good storytelling. That's our only hope. And this is a story that you can't one-up. 